What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Monday edition of Texans All Access, a playoff edition. Well, it was a playoff edition. It's brought, brought to you by Mattress Firm. Until Saturday happened, man, what a sad show. This is always a sad show. This is always a sad day. Season's over. Um, I know some would argue the last few years, like, oh, didn't you love this day? No, when the season's over, it's always it's always tough because you're in that grind. I mean, football's going on. you got a game every weekend. Um, this year in particular, it was really, really tough for it to be over. Um, yeah, everybody's fatigued and tired and excited about 2024 and what this team can do in 2024. But, man, I loved watching this team. I really did. This 2023 team had a lot. And we actually will talk to our guest tonight about all of that and then some. We'll also have my Ultimate 11 Offensive Plays of the Year revised. I had to revise them a little bit because we had a few offensive plays that needed to get into the Ultimate 11. So we'll have that a little bit later in the show. Uh, plus, we'll have a little D'Amico reloaded. And what better way to end the show than a little D'Amico reloaded so we'll have that all for you on the show but we're going to kick it off with our pal our radio broadcast partner uh who i've gotten to uh be great friends with he's a great friend of mine great friend of ours great friend of houston he is of houston with the university of houston um he's a houston legend our friend andre Ware, mark vandermeer and i caught up with him to talk about this game talk about uh, what was our favorite moment what did we take out of this year a lot of fun stuff here take a listen andre with me and Mark. CJ will throw on the first play for the Texans. Steps up, fires deep down the field, and caught by Nico Collins yes. at the 20, 15, 10, 5. Rock and roll. Touchdown, Houston. 75 yards on the opening play. Hello, Indy. Unreal. Oh, we're going to remember that one. Can you say what you wanted to say? <laughs> Can you say that? Or Excellent is that Indy? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe find us for that one. Uh, you know what gets me all fired up though? Ben firing up Detroit Rock City hey, coming out yeah, of the break. I mean go. that that does it for me. I gotta say. And Andre Ware is joining us now. Dre, will I had the time of my life? More '80s music <laughs> coming your way. Detroit Rock City is actually '70s, but anyway, Dre, it was rough on Saturday night. Let's get to the playoff game. Second half, Ravens run away with it, almost literally. But we're also reflecting on the season that was. It didn't end like we wanted it to, but it was one heck of a ride for uh, the better part of, what, 19 weeks or so, 20 weeks? It was great. I mean, uh, you you couldn't ask for more. Kind of uh, D'Amico came in and rejuvenated a fan base, rejuvenated an organization. And we talked about it a little bit on, uh, on Saturday, even going all the way back to the draft. It's been exciting since that moment, so, so I'm, I can't I can't wait until next year and see what next year brings. Okay, uh, since we're looking back, this one's for both of you, mm-hmm. and we just played the Nico seventy-five uh, yard catch against the Colts, which was a pretty good it's one. It's funny because as he's rolling that highlight, I'm thinking, what game is this? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your favorite? Which one is which one is your favorite? I mean, I know they're like our kids. You know, you can't like one more than the other. But let's be honest, we like one kid more than more than the others. Um, that's very true. Every parent out there is not in their head like, yeah, we don't say it, but we know it. Like, okay, I really like Joey and Lynn more than I like Jimmy. Jimmy's always getting in trouble. You know, all that kind of stuff. We have a favorite. We all have a favorite. Dre, Mark, what 
are your favorites for your reason your reason what's your favorite moment from this season Dre, you got one you want to go first well and the now that analogy of kids holds true for me because i only have one so i can <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> have to pick, pick a favorite yeah. i only got one son that's it <laughs> but uh yeah. man one moment i i think it almost had to be you know it's it's kind of cliche because you're going he, we just heard the highlight but to open a game like that i think Every player, especially an offensive player, wants to hit on the first play of the game. So going back to that Nico Collins 75-yard touchdown catch, that registers for me because that's how you want to open a game as a quarterback, as a receiver, mm-hmm. uh, an offensive line. Just, hey, let's let's get one big one right now. We've seen this on film. Let's attack it this minute, this moment from this look, and then it plays out that way. That's the one for me against the Colts. Okay. Man, there were so many good ones. If you went one in sixteen, and the one was beating the Titans in their Oiler uniforms, yeah, you might say it was a good oh, season yeah. because that was so yeah. satisfying, especially the way they did it. But if I have to pick one, I'm going to go Tampa because mm. to beat them here, to do it the way you did it, to have Daria Gunbowale kick a field goal in the game—I mean, that was just that yeah, moment crazy. alone crazy. within that game. And then they go ahead and you see how good they ultimately were. I mean, there they are yesterday battling for their playoff lives and giving Detroit everything they could handle. And then CJ puts together that drive and hits tank along mm-hmm. the sideline. Then 10 seconds left of the game drills it to the back of the end zone, Dell with the big catch and to have rookies hook up like that, knocking off a team like that. That was an eruption of joy at NRG Stadium, and I think that's the one I'll probably take with me. For I'll take a lot of them with me for a long time, but that one may be the most. Okay, I asked a question. So I, you guys brought up some great ones. I had been flirting with the the, the beating the Oilers, mm-hmm. Titans, whatever you want to call them. But I come back to this. I feel like this is my opinion. I feel like there's one play that changed the entire. I know what you're going to say. Season. And the I entire think- season, it's my favorite because this team was always about, oh, that guy made a play. Oh, that guy made a play? Wait, who's that guy? Andrew Beck's kickoff return against Jacksonville is the most improbable touchdown yeah. anybody on this team scored this year. Yeah, And it flipped the game. It was 17-10. The Jaguars are getting back in it. And he fumbles the kickoff. Oh, my God, they're going to get on this. They're going to tie this game up. And we're about 0-3. He picks it up and starts rumbling down the sideline and running, and he leaps over the last guy. And the joy on the sideline is what stayed with me because as I'm looking at him running, I'm I'm looking down the sideline. I can see everybody. And he gets in the end zone, and it was just like you could hear it in your call. Like Andrew Beck scores a touchdown. Like it was that strange and crazy of a year. Mm-hmm. That 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 run back was at, to me it was the pivotal play. Now you're up twenty four ten. Now they're over the sidelines going, oh my god, we just let Andrew Beck have a touchdown. You end up beating them thirty seven seventeen, and now the season's on. And I will tell you, of all the joyous locker rooms that I was in this year, that one, that one that afternoon was as joyous as any of them. That was incredible. That locker room, they were to get win number one. Yeah, sure. Miko's first win. Jags. How they had done it. At the Jags, which, by the way, we have an eight-game winning streak on the road in the division. How about that? In the division. In the division, on the road. So that's mine. Andrew Beck's kickoff return. All right. But that being said, Dre, here you are in the 2024 offseason all of a sudden. 
And it's weird when the season ends in the postseason, it just comes to a screeching halt, you know, because you're already planning next week because you have to. Otherwise, you're caught dead, right? So you have to be ready for the next game, and then all of a sudden there is no game. So here they are, assistant coaches being interviewed, lots of free agents. What are your thoughts? Because this becomes a completely different team, maybe not completely, but a very different team next year. You can't possibly re-sign everybody. You're going to have draft choices. You might have some coaches leave. Here you go into 2024. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think uh, it's certainly every year we uh, you, you come back, it's a little bit different, obviously, with free agency. And you just try to hold on to as much as of, of a nucleus as you possibly can. Who's in that nucleus is, is the question. And, and then it's where can we surround the nucleus uh, and get better. And I think it's going to be in the trenches, guys. I think on both sides of the ball, Baltimore – expose some things defensively uh, up front where you got to have some some production and, and maybe even some more bulk and size. Uh, I, I think that's where they go, maybe even adding a corner through the draft and certainly safeties for depth purposes. I think a, a lot of a lot of the uh, rebuild, so to speak, will be on the defensive side of it. Then on the offensive side, can you add an offensive lineman or two? Absolutely. Can you get better at receiver? Absolutely. Can you add depth at running back? I think there as well. So it's going to be a busy, busy offseason for this group. Dre, going back to draft night, you and I are sitting next to each other, and we're kind of watching this whole thing unfold. And the Texans walk out of there with C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson. And we were excited about that combination in particular, but just Nick going up, making that move, them honing in on those two particular players. Looking back to draft night, and then going forward till today, did it live up to it? I mean, in, in year one, at least, the hype for both CJ and for Will, were we justified in our excitement for what those two guys were able to bring this year in your estimation? Oh, I think uh, I think they provided more than what was expected. Um, uh, they, you know, the, nobody saw what CJ was going to bring and, and uh, you know, the production that you were going to get at the quarterback position to get this deep and still be playing – in the postseason, um, you had you have to have one, and you have to have a guy that you feel pretty comfortable with. I think he provided that. Nobody saw it coming in his rookie year, and then for Will Anderson, I, I think he surpassed expectations as well. I think if he were a little closer to a hundred percent, we'd have saw a whole lot more out of Will Anderson. You know, the, the ankle bothered him down the mm-hmm. stretch. You know, there, there were other injuries here and there, but. I think both guys uh, totally surpassed what our expectations were on draft night. We we expected them to be good players and fundamental uh, pieces for this organization for for years to come. That's certainly the case, and uh, and I think you know now we you can hang your hat on both sides of the ball. And to address, and to address both sides on draft night and have that t- the type of production play out, nobody could have saw that coming. Yeah, just incredible stuff. Trey, C.J. Stroud, here is his first pro offseason. Last year, it was draft prep, workouts, whatever the case may be, getting ready to get picked, and then all the rookie stuff, rookie camps, etc. What do you think the focus is here as he gets ready for year two? Uh, I think it's going to be building his body to withstand, you know, 17, 18 weeks of just what he's witnessed this season and uh you know you you get tired at some point because you're well past what you played any amount of games that you played on the on the collegiate level so i think it's that first and foremost 
Uh, can he become a little bit better runner? We don't know because that's not what he's asked to do, but I would imagine that he would say he could get quicker, he could get faster because the accuracy in the arm, that's there. The timing is there. You're always continuing to work on that. And as they bring in new receivers, you want to see how that, you know, translates on the field. So he'll be working with some guys throughout this whole process, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, and, and I don't know, maybe even the release a little bit quicker, some, just stuff that you're always tinkering with as a quarterback to just get your game better. But I don't know that he has to improve on much. It's just going to be a chemistry standpoint from do you mesh with what being signed and drafted during the offseason. Dre, from a rookie to a second-year guy uh, or a second-year player, that right. big jump, you know, we talk about making the jump. And, you know, obviously CJ's not the only one that has to do that. You know, Tank's going to do that. Will Anderson's going to do it. Henry's going to do it. What's the biggest key and what, what – how big is that? Is that really an important year, that year one to year two? Like, okay, I don't have everything licked. I don't have everything under control. But, man, I kind of know a lot more than I did when I came in. I played it at NFL speed. How important is that year one to year two jump for these guys to take? Well, it's, it's important from the standpoint of are you, are you a, a core player? Are you a guy that, they, that can be, you know, that, that can be relied upon? Uh, every year and a fund of, you know, a foundational piece to all of this. And I think the answer with, with, uh, with a lot of players on this team, Tank Dell, uh, he'll have to answer. Can he go to the next level? Uh, a guy like John Mechie, can he go to the next level? Nico, uh, I think he proved that this season uh, after a couple of years of, of, of people doubting that the size was always there. The speed was always there. Could he stay healthy was the only question, and he, he did that for the, for the better part of the season. So I think it's going to be that for a lot of players. I think it's that for C.J. at quarterback. Man, I would take 10 years of what he just gave us uh, and not complain one bit and, uh, because I think that he, is, he has played that much better. Do I expect him to, to go to the next level? Absolutely, and I think he'll elevate, and this team will elevate as he does. All right, Dre, the Ravens are going to entertain the Kansas City Chiefs. Buffalo mm. gave it a shot, couldn't get it done. Lots of injuries, bad execution down the stretch. Chiefs looked like the Chiefs on the road. They did great. Now they have to go into the Ravens' nest. It's their turn. Who do you got? What are you thinking about this weekend's matchup in the AFC? Well, I got I got the Ravens all day long. I got the Ravens winning it all. I haven't seen a team that complete. Uh, at this point in the season, maybe ever, and uh, from on both sides of the ball, they owned each line of scrimmage, which is how you win championships, uh, especially this, you know, when you're talking about this, this late in the season having production. They've got it on both sides. They've got depth on both sides. They got arguably the best kicker uh, in the league. So the, you, you, once they cross the 50, it's, it's point, points are going on the board. I don't know how Kansas City can go in there and fade what they have. I mean, they may be able to pick at a corner or two here and there, but they do a heck of a job of just covering things up. So I don't, I don't really uh, see anybody beating the Baltimore Ravens this year in this, this, uh, this Super Bowl. I want to read you both with something that Dan Orlovsky apparently said on uh, Get Up. Oh, here we go. 
The Detroit Lions went 0-16, and they've got more NFC Championship game appearances this century than the Cowboys. Yeah. (laughs) Along those lines, Drew, or uh, Andre, what does it mean for the city of Detroit? And you know that city pretty well. What do you know about – what does it mean for the city of Detroit for them to get to an NFC Championship? I mean, you were on that team that last went to one in 91. What does it mean to that city? You know it's not at home. They got to go to San Francisco, and it's tough. But what does it mean after all these years of futility to actually get there to the NFC Championship game? I mean, I, I would compare Lions fans in in a way to Saints fans a lot. Now they they obviously don't have the Super Bowl win, but the passion, oh, it's always been there. It, it is as blue collar as it gets. I was talking, telling Mark about when I was there covering the the MAC Championship game just how beautiful the city of Detroit. Yes, I'm saying it. <clears throat> how beautiful the city of Detroit has become. And there's a lot of pride in that area and being a Lions fan that was just that's just been pinned up and it's been being released all at one time 30 something years later here they go into the NFC Championship game. You mentioned that I was a part of that team played in that game got picked off in that game by Daryl Green, a Houstonian. And uh, it's just, it's just so, it's been so long. The passion has been brewing. The wants have been there for years and the stands have stood by that franchise year after year. And now they can kind of exhale, so to speak. It means everything to that city. It's a prideful city, as I mentioned, and uh, people just love, love the Lions. You, you can bring up Pistons, you can bring up Tigers, but the Lions run Detroit and, uh, and, and fans will, will let you know it. Certainly right now. All right. So the Lions and the 49ers, Jared Goff, Brock Purdy, 49ers. Look, they could have lost to Green Bay. They didn't. They held serve. I know you have them losing to the Ravens, but what kind of shot do the Lions really have here? I think they've got a legit shot. I mean, you're talking about Jared Goff going back home to where he's basically played his college football. It's going to have to play out out there and uh, he's comfortable in that environment. So you just can't some, some years things just align. And it just seems like, you know, when you doubt the lions and they can't, they seem to get it done every, you know, and now all of a sudden Dan Campbell's no longer a, a, you know, a punchline and a joke. Everybody's looking at him as a legit head coach, Aaron Glenn, you know, calling plays defensively. They're, They're getting things done on the offensive side. And, and Jared Goff proving people wrong, playing with a chip on his shoulder. It could align and they could go there. Certainly nobody had that game being played as close as it did with the, with the uh, 49ers and the Packers. I think the Lions are a little bit better football team at this stage in the game than the Packers. So I think everything's on the table if, in terms of the Lions being able to go, to go out there and actually win against the 49ers and end up in the Super Bowl in Vegas. All right, back to the AFC. Nick Wright tweeted something that I agree with. He said, Bills fans do not blame Tyler Bass. He's trolling here, but I do agree with this. Deep down, you know, even if he made the field goal, Mahomes was just going to rip your heart out Mm -hmm. in even more excruciating fashion. I totally agree with that. That was going to tie the game with under two minutes to go. If you're the Bills, you have to run out the clock Mm -hmm. and either kick a field goal or score a touchdown. Either you're going to overtime with no time left on the clock for Mahomes in regulation, or you have the lead, and that's it for Mahomes. You cannot allow him to have any time on the clock. They failed the moment they even attempted the field goal, Dre. 
He did. He was able to do it with 13 seconds, Mark, to get it to overtime <laughs> and then beat nope. the Bills. So if you know if you got anything over a minute and a half that you're leaving Mahomes, that's an eternity. And yeah, I believe he'd go right down the field, put him in field goal range, and and uh, and get it done. If not, you're thinking he's going to get it first in in overtime. If they get it first in overtime, he'll take care yep. of it the first drive there. So mm-hmm. uh, by all means, don't blame that young man, but. You know, I, I was a kicker once. I understand the amount of pressure that's that goes with that position, not to that degree, but to a lesser degree. And all you have is one job. And so it's easy to 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 uh, to finger him as the guy to, to blame. But no, it, it was way too much time left for Mahomes and company. So five years ago, we sat in this same exact well, over five years ago, we sat in the same room that we're in right now. Uh-huh. And it was draft night, first round. We got near the end of the first round, and Dre hits me, and he shows me a text. And it's to and from Lamar Jackson. And Lamar was a guy that really, he didn't open up to anybody in the interview process. He didn't talk to anybody but you, Andre Ware. He talked to you. So you know Lamar. You kind of know how he ticks. How much does this mean for him to win an AFC championship, beat Mahomes in the process, get to the Super Bowl, just that alone, much less win the Super Bowl. What does this mean for him, do you think, Dre? I just hope he doesn't try to play outside of what he did on Saturday because it means everything, Johnny. That's all the kid plays for, championships. Uh, and, it, you know, he, he gets he's going he's gonna to get the MVP. He's been the MVP before. The Ravens have gone on runs with him before. But – the question is going to be, can he win a can you win a championship with his style of play? And he wants to prove everybody wrong so badly, so desperately wants to prove them wrong. And so you'll see you'll see Lamar take on a different <clears throat> different edge to him. He'll run a little bit more against the Chiefs because it's mm-hmm. there. Uh, he's a lot better runner than than uh, Josh Allen, in my opinion, because of the speed element and quickness and the ability to make you miss. Uh, he's a problem that the Chiefs are going to have to try to figure out. And then if you figure him out, here comes Gus, here comes Justice Hill, you know, all, here comes uh, the other kid that they just signed, picked up from the Jets. Dalvin Cook. Dalvin, Dalvin Cook. Cook. I mean, you talk about here, Mark Andrews may be healthy enough to play, uh. though I don't take Isaiah Likely off the field whatsoever mm-hmm. and cut down his production. And then you, you talk about the weapons on the outside. So to, to, to kind of put a bow on what you asked me, it means everything to Lamar to prove all the, that's his chip going all the way back to, to draft night. Could he play quarterback? He should be playing wide receiver. You know, people, some people still feel that way, even after all the production and in his mind, they feel that way. And so he's out to prove those people wrong, win a championship and say, Hey, I told you so. Dre, on average, by and large, free agent decisions as they weigh coming to Houston, how much of it is, I'm, I know it's always about money, right? But is it a tiebreaker at the very least or a scale tilter if you take into consideration D'Amico Ryan, C.J. Stroud, Houston, no state income tax, all of that stuff versus I might have a little bit more money in an offer somewhere else, but I think I'll play here. What about those decisions? How much does it help, in other words, to have D'Amico and CJ here and this being in Houston, Texas? 
Well, no state tax certainly helps a bit, a bunch when you sit down and explain what was going out the out the bank account to mm-hmm. uh, for taxes and things of that sort. So that plays that plays a role that uh, that people don't necessarily talk about. But when you have a quarterback like C.J. Stroud and a head coach like D'Amico Ryan's uh, guys talk, and that's how you sell recruits in college or players on the on the on the roster and the head coach and it's that way in the NFL when you're approaching free agency and who wants to go play with who where that's why the Ravens are built the way they are you got a chance to go win a championship with a guy like Lamar Jackson and you want to be a part of that well you get this deep in the into the season in your first year that's a that's a no-brainer sales sales pitch that you can use and you got that and you don't really even have to put it on the table it's just there and everybody else is talking about it but when you come in as a free agent and you're interviewing as well as they're interviewing you uh, because you have options, but you, you're talking to people within the franchise and how is it on a daily basis? How's this place run? Oh, man, it's super. Coach gives us this, this, and this. He's this way. Well, what about CJ? Oh, he prepares. He's the first guy in the building. You got a chance to win every single week. All those things start to matter and stack up for potential free agents. And you watch. There are going to be guys that are coming here that you didn't think we could that would ever put on a Texans uniform for that reason, a little later in the career. And they're trying to win a championship at this stage. That's, those are the things that push it, push, uh, push them across the finish line. Outstanding. Dre, thanks so much. As always, we'll catch yeah, up soon. Great season. It's always so yes, much it fun. Was. I can't wait till the off season gets started. Uh, I know those things are mixing in, in themselves up right now. So, Draft night, here we come, April, what is it, 25th? I wonder how I know that, but uh, <laughs> I can't wait for April 25th, 25th or 26th, somewhere around there to to get here and see what uh, what's what's cooking for the Texans. You know, for Johnny, it's just a blur of days. He's on the air every hour of it, so uh, we'll just be ready for I'm it. I'm ready. All I'm right. Ready. Yeah, we'll All be right, ready. Craig. We'll be ready. Okay. All right, guys. Damn right we're going to be ready. There's no question about that. All right, another guy who's also ready, a guy who joined us this year, uh, an official capacity in D-Clue coming up next right here on Texans All Access. Here we go. It's Monday edition of Texans All Access as I channeled Dak Prescott in his uh, snap count uh, regimen. Here we go. Ready, set. And then the ball is snapped. So either way, uh, glad you're here with me, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And not in the greatest mood because, well, this is our last day of radio. Uh, for all access until the Monday after the Super Bowl. And then we'll come back and take over 6-7 to seven at that point. Um, and hopefully at that point we'll have a lot to talk about. There are going to be a lot of changes. There always are. Um, it's just a matter of which ones. Hopefully there aren't a lot, but uh, just bracing for a lot of changes. Well, there's players, coaches, staff, etc. cetera. Um, but it's going to be a tough one for sure because this was a very, very fun team to be around. But 2023 was a great year because – Andy Kalu was added uh, into the mix, and it made for tremendous uh, Mondays and Tuesdays. And every day that we got an opportunity to talk to Andy Kalu, really absolutely loved it. So let's talk with Andy Kalu right now. Let's get to this first. Your take on what you saw Saturday, and then we'll get your thoughts on the season. Go ahead with Saturday night as the Texans fell to the Ravens. Like everybody at halftime, very encouraged. 
knowing that the Houston Texans walked into that locker room, you know, saying to themselves, hey, one more half and we can really get this done when I don't think anybody gave them a chance. And then the second half, I just felt like reality set into place. I mean, there's a reason why with all these great, talented players in the NFL, Lamar Jackson is about to get his second MVP. And I think he showed it more so in the second half than in the first. And when I'm watching it, Mark and John, I'm I'm thinking to myself, like, how do you prepare? As a guy who played in the NFL for, for 12 years, I still don't know how I would prepare for Lamar Jackson because there's just certain things that I don't care if you put your shiftiest wide receiver at quarterback during scout team week. There's just certain things that you just can't prepare for. And I just feel like in that second half, he, 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 along with, and it's not just about Lamar Jackson. I mean, on their defense, uh, you know, their two linebackers, you can talk about have them having the best tandem at linebackers in the NFL, arguably. But yeah, I, I just felt like the second half reality really set in. And that's not a shot against the Texans. That's just a nod to the Baltimore Ravens and how great they've been playing. Yeah, I mean, Mark, you know, I've, I've picked Baltimore the last couple of years. Like, okay, if Lamar is right, and it's amazing to watch I mean, me down field level and seeing all these great quarterbacks. I mean, obviously seeing CJ every single week, it's incredible. But when you see a guy move with the ball in his hands the so way fast. that he does, it's unbelievable. Lightning. And like I said before the game, I thought, the going back there, I thought about rust versus rest. Lamar didn't throw the ball exceptionally well. No. He didn't throw it exceptionally well. but And that's why I thought, you know what, if things get tough, they're going to run him. And they did. They were, uh, when they were dropping back in the first half, the pass was like, rush was good. getting to them. Great. Yeah, Keep dropping good. back. Our guys are getting to them. The coverage is good downfield, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But in the second half, they said, you know what? Throw the quickies. Yep. Let's run the football. Let's yep. run the rock. Let's and get they back ran to it what well. we do. And that, and that was just the physical mindset. Top is, rushing is, attack in the league. Do what you do. And they did what they did. Yeah. India, at that point, in this conversation, we'll look back. We'll look forward. Let's look forward a little bit team has constructed <coughs> excuse me and i don't know what the contracts will be and all that kind of stuff but if D'Amico came to you and said indy defensively i know it was a tough night but just over the season what you saw what do you think are kind of the biggest needs for the team going forward on the defensive side of the ball in particular you know what, what was tough about that when I was looking at the game and, you know, after the game, you play armchair general manager and you say, okay, what pieces can you add so you could beat a Baltimore Ravens? Again, it's, it's just tough to think that there's any one piece coming out of college that you say, you know what, if we could draft this guy, he's going to shut down Lamar Jackson. It's like, no, right. like it's more of the system, the scheme and continuing to add pieces to the puzzle. And I say that in my long winded approach, you, you, you can't have too many pass rushers. You, you know, I'm thinking another three mm. technique pass rusher that can really get after the quarterback, but with Baltimore Ravens, it's just more of a, an approach. I don't know if y'all noticed uh, Christian Harris made what I thought was a great open field tackle against yeah, Lamar yeah. Jackson, but the yep. pocket broke down. And I even rewound it and showed my son. I was like, look, this is a great play because as I was watching it, I was expecting Lamar Jackson to juke him out and just pick up another 10, 15 yards, but he made an awesome play. Just that sure tackling, maybe, uh, John, that stud, uh, another another stud linebacker, that yep. that guy that you, know, you just put him there, and he's going to be hopefully the next D'Amico Ryans, the Brian Cushing. Even with Petrie's step back this year, I still feel pretty confident and comfortable with the defensive back, so it, it would be a piece in the front seven. All right, I'm going to go out of order in the line of questioning here, but 
Just addressing free agents, because this team has, what, 15 to 20 free agents that they have to deal with one way or another, and we can get into how they might handle those things. But just in general, ND, a free agent, we always talk about, hey, they go wherever the most money is. How true is that versus, hey, I want to play in Houston with C.J. Stroud and Ford D'Amico Ryans, and, oh, you have the state income tax thing into play as well. If it's a tie, is that the tiebreaker, or would you take a little less maybe because of the income tax? Because, hey, D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud and the whole environment here, how does all that work in the mind of a possible free agent out there? It, it depends where each player is in their career. You know, if you have a guy that's already accomplished everything on the individual level and, you know, he's made all the money and he just wants a championship like uh, Mike Evans, who I would love to see in a Houston Texan uniform next year, uh, his his priority more than likely will be obviously some money. I mean, you know, once it's over, it's over. So once, once it's over, you stop getting those checks. So the money is always going to be a factor, but I think a guy like Mike Evans is really truly going to be chasing a ring. But then if you have a, a guy that, you know, proved himself and, you know, he's still somewhat young. He he wants to get that big contract. He wants to continue to establish himself as uh, one of the better players in the league. They're not going to put that priority of ring as we're an older guy who's on his last contract. But regardless of all of that, now you're in a position where when you look at the Houston Texans as an organization, it's a positive, you, you know, no matter what stage in your career you are, you're not thinking, Oh, Texans, they got a lot of drama. The head coach thinks he's the general manager, and you have somebody who's running the show who doesn't even have the qualifications. Like, that's not even a thought. So it's only going to bode well for the Texans in free agency, but you're still going to have to open up that checkbook. Wait, what was that scenario you just described? I mean, never mind. I just made it. It's a fictional, uh, hypothetical thing. I got you. Yeah. Uh, ND said the, the thing I always hear from retired players, or I, I – they just it encapsulates it so well, which is the gigantic checks stop coming in. That's what happens when you retire. When it's over, that's over. And you're right. You have to take that into consideration if you're a professional. Athlete. You know, you know it, Mark. You know it's coming, but it's fun. It's funny and it's not funny if you're not prepared. But you literally go from picking up or having deposited a huge check every Tuesday until it just then when it's over, it just stops. It's not like. Eh, you know what, for the next six months, I'm going to get 50% of what I was making. And then after that, 20%, it's like, nope, as soon as they walk you out the door, uh, that check is right there to stop. So, yeah, it's an adjustment. Andy, what's this day like for players? Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, played Saturday, they had Sunday off, and now they come in for, for locker cleanout day. And one of the things that I don't know why the first couple of years, it kind of didn't hit me this way, I guess because we had guys that we knew were coming back, but it's really hit me that every single year is a different year. You don't bring back the same group. In fact, it, it changes significantly. And the last four years in this building have been changes significantly. We'll see what happens. Coaching staff, players, all that kind of stuff. But, Andy, what's this day like for the players knowing that? Knowing that, especially if it was a fun year, if it was a good year. Like, hey, a lot of these guys, I look around my D-line room, I'm like, 60% of these guys will be here. You know, maybe 20% of the guys will be here. Heck, maybe I might be the only guy that's here. How do you guys kind of, how do players kind of treat this locker clean-out day? I'm sure their bodies are about to be refreshed, and so they feel good about that. But leaving teammates um, and having, you know, the thought that you're not going to have this team in the same form again, what's this day like for players? 
Man, that's an awesome, you're bringing up some awesome memories with that question. It's a lot of reflection. And, and though, look, what do they say? There's going to be 31 disappointed teams in the NFL at the end of the year, because if mm -hmm. you don't win the Super Bowl, then obviously it ends in disappointment. But these guys understand what they accomplish. I, I have to believe, John, there's a lot of reflection after the disappointment when the plane landed. And shout out to the fans who were out there waiting, you, you know, to show their support after that loss. Uh, guys yes. are going to smile and be you know what? This was a special season. When you think about the turnaround from the last two years to what they accomplished, so I think there's going to be some smiles, but there's also going to be some uh, Dalton Schultz. I, I, you best believe he probably won't admit it because of the guy he is. You best believe he's been on the phone with his agent already. You, you know, Nico Collins <laughs> has been talking to some people like, hey, I know I'm still under contract, but uh, should I or should I not report to the mini camp coming up? Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud. I mean, he needs to sit back and just uh, smile and appreciate what he's done. Uh, you, you know, those that around him, what they've been able to accomplish this year. So I think there's a lot of reflection. There's going to be a lot of hugs in the in the locker room because just like you said, these guys know. They know that uh, this team is going to look different. They know that guys who contributed, who are part of the success of the season, they're not going to be here. So there's going to be a lot of hugs, a lot of like, man, what a heck of a run did we just have. Uh, but but I think there's just going to be this overwhelming uh, feeling of appreciation in that locker room today. All right, give me two or three of these. When people ask you, what did you take away from the 2023 season? What stands out in your mind and look, we could have this conversation for years, but right now, where we sit right now, what will you take away from this season? What moments or thoughts? That the word culture is not just a word. Like with this team, with this coaching staff, it's tangible. You can feel it. Like there, there's truly a different feeling uh, in the locker room, on the football field, and with expectations. And that, that's just something that I truly appreciated watching on this journey. Uh, look, we had a guy like Henry Toa Toa, Early on, we're saying, wow, what a find. And he's still a great find, fifth-round pick. He did things in his first year that I only dreamed of doing as a fifth-round pick. But when play dropped off and other guys stepped up, you know what, as much as we like you as a person, you're going to have to take a back seat. But he continued to grind and still showed up. Like, the, the, the word culture is not just a word. It's like you have to fit in. You have to produce. I'm still going to respect you as a football player, as a man. But if how do you bench – Petrie like like that's something I, I I don't have the webbles to do because of what he did as a rookie but he took it like a man and, and you know I think he's bouncing back like there, there's mm. a there's a respect there Mark and there's a culture shift and it doesn't mean just because I'm D'Amico a good person that if things don't work the way they're supposed to I'm just gonna let it slide so I really when I look back at this year the culture the shift it, it was tangible you could like almost feel it when you when you follow this team I'll say this from that standpoint that Indy's Indy's dead on and I'm not I'm never you know how I feel Mark I love coming in this building every single day um over the last three years it was it was tough to walk in and go, well, it's Texas Monday. What the hell are we going to talk about today? You know, and it we was, always have fun. I know. We, no, I know we always have fun. I know that. And, and, and we and always he, after every show, Johnny's like, man, that was a really good show. We had I a know. good time. We I, we we've, we found a way. Fun. We found a way. But there's been so much joy added in this building. Oh my gosh, so it's much joy added in this building. An abundance of it's joy. It's been incredible. And I'll say this, and I, and I'll say it publicly. 
Adding Indy Clue to our Texans Monday has made my freaking season. Yes. I yes, mean, it has you, been, Indy. Indy, it has been incredible to have you on, man, and see you on Tuesdays and just chop it up. Like, the other day, you're chopping up with Trap J in here, and it was, it's been really, really good. You did a hell of a job on the preseason broadcast, man. Uh, I think that's one of the things I take out of this year is how much uh, you've meant to us and, and how much insight you've brought just from a player insight, just knowing football and all that kind of stuff, man. Well, you, you know what upsets me? That we didn't have him when we were 4-12. and 12, I know. And, and, you know, that really bugs me right I know, now. And I'm sure he I was really very upset to have missed that. your vibe here on Mondays after some of those games, ND. Thanks I'm, a lot. I'm sure you enjoyed missing those 4-12 and 12 seasons, ND, a whole lot more. But, you know what? He's a front runner. That's what he is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. But, ND, your first, well, your first year with us, uh, just your overall thoughts. Thoughts with that real quick and not to get too corny emotional mark you know how i feel about you from day one from the day i retired you've been a, a huge help in my post-career life and john i'm not just saying this because of the flowers you gave me I, i've always listened to you and i said out of all these schmucks that are on air talking about <laughs> football talking bad about players you have a certain respect for the game that I've always appreciated, like from day one. Like, you know, I know you coached. I know you played college football. I know that you've been in the trenches. But just hearing you break down, especially – I don't want to say especially because then it takes away from the other things that you do, but your draft breakdown. Like, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. in passing, I'll ask you about some random guy, and before you even answer, I think to myself – you know what? That was stupid. First, I should see if he knows this guy who's projected to go in the fourth <laughs> round, and you're breaking him down, and you give me two pages of material just off the top of your dome. So I really appreciate like the respect that you have for this sport that I love, and that's been uh you, you know it's meant so much to me in my life. But I really enjoyed this. I, look, even when I was down the dial, Mark, I kept saying, "Hey, we can still do things." You know, this is Texan radio, and you're like, nah, <laughs> you know, it might not work out. So yeah. for it all to work out the way that it did i just i just really appreciate y'all and it's been a blast well great to have you on and that's it for texans mondays but we'll visit in the off season we got texans ogs we got texans all access starting up after the super bowl it'll be all so much fun to get ready for 2024 nd thanks so much thank you so am i seeing y'all tomorrow because i'm I'm pumped let's do something we gotta do something now all right, well, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get back to you. <laughs> we'll, we'll do something. We'll figure it out. All right, so y- y'all going to have to get a restraining order on me. I'm All just going to be hanging on. <laughs> Who is that man? All right, yeah. thanks a lot. Appreciate, appreciate All right, Andy. Brothers. All right. Andy can come up there any time he wants. Uh, man, uh, that's always tough, man. Andy, was he's great, man. His words for me were just um, – I just have the ultimate respect for him. Uh, just an incredible player. He's one of the first players I met uh, when I came to Houston in 2007. Got a chance to know him a little bit. And then once his career was over, got a chance to know him a little bit more. And just absolutely love that man. He's tr- he's tremendous. So, uh, great stuff from Indy Clue all year long. Okay, we get back. We're going to go around the NFL. There are plenty of things happening in the NFL. Some news. Uh, give you some Texans news as well. Uh, as some, some some reserve contracts were handed out. We'll do that next right here on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Our last one in the year. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And we'll go around the NFL, but we're going to start here in Houston. As the Texans, and this typically happens every year at the end of the year, reserve contracts, reserve slash future contracts. That means... 
A lot of times guys that are on IR, or not IR, uh, practice squad, you essentially lock up with a reserve contract that they stay with you. They're part of your 90-man roster going forward. So the Texans did that with, I believe it's 12 guys. Uh, somebody just recently added McTelvin, McTelvin Ajim from out of Arkansas, defensive tackle. Alex Bachman, wide receiver. Tim Boyle, quarterback. Jared Dokes, running back. Allie Gay, who was a rookie from LSU. Brandon Hill, um, who unfortunately got hurt early on. That really kind of stunted uh, his progress, and I hate that for Brandon. I think he's got something there. Brandon Hill, safety from Pitt. Johnny Johnson, the third, wide receiver, um, who was active in Week 18. Dalton Keene, tight end. Troy Pride, corner. J.J. Taylor, wide, re- or, uh, wide receiver. Running back. He's fun, by the way. I'm just going to tell you. I-, I can't wait to see J.J. Taylor in training camp because that, that dude could scoot. Uh, Jalen Thomas, rookie tackle out of SMU. And then Jared Wayne, wide receiver from Pitt. Now, that's not everybody that was on the practice squad. Um, but that's 12 guys that will be on the 90-man roster, all things considered, um, as we go forward. Uh, but they signed reserve slash future contracts as it goes forward now as it pertains to the texans and moves and all that kind of stuff league year starts middle of march so that's when you'll probably start hearing some things there was some obvious noise about some pre-agents um you know saturday saturday night you know hey you're gonna be with the team next year all that kind of stuff so you know guys like john grenard devin singletary dalton schultz etc etc um so if a player is going to stay with a particular team. They can get that contract done. But at this point, my guess is they'll probably wait field offers um, uh, as we get closer to free agency. So that's going to be a little less than two months down the road. So Texans obviously uh, have to get to work, and they will get to work. This is the first step uh, in that, making sure these guys stay uh, in the building with those 12 names I just mentioned. Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars made some news. They are hiring former Falcons defense coordinator Ryan Nielsen. Nielsen did a really good job with the Falcons' defense. That defense gave us uh, some issue for sure. Um, when we went up there, obviously, CJ threw that touchdown pass to Dalton Schultz. Um, but that defense flew around. So Jaguars getting a pretty solid young defensive coordinator, which I don't like. I wish Mike Caldwell would have stayed, but they fired Caldwell. They moved on. The Falcons obviously moving in a different direction after Arthur Smith was fry- fired. So that left Ryan Nielsen available. He will take that Jacksonville Jaguars defensive coordinator job. Dang it. Now the Lions continue on in the playoffs. They will go to San Francisco this Sunday. It'll be AFC Championship at 2. It'll be the NFC Championship at 5.30. Potentially in that game could be former Eagles, former Cardinals tight end Zach Ertz. He is signed to the practice squad and would have a chance to be elevated for the NFC Championship game Championship game in San Francisco. It's outside the, possi- the realm of possibility. Sam Laporte has been great. Um, you also had, by um, my blank on the name, number 89, Brock Wright, who made a huge play uh, in that game against the Buccaneers. And congratulations to Detroit going to the NFC Championship. I mean, they go 30 years without a playoff win. And then once they finally get back in the playoffs, they take it to the NFC Championship. So congratulations to them. Now, the NFC North, who we will see next year, we will face the Chicago Bears at home. They are hiring former Seattle offensive coordinator Shane Waldron. He did a great job, I thought, with Geno Smith the last couple of years. Uh, He had been in the Rams system with Sean McVay. 
um, kind of rising through the levels there. Uh, then he left for Seattle. He's done a really nice job. He will take over as the Bears' offensive coordinator, which I don't know what that means for Justin Fields, but Shane Waldron comes out of that kind of Shanahan, McVay, uh, Bobby Slowick sort of uh, tree, if you will. That would lead me to believe that they're going to be looking at somebody you could throw it a little bit more. Maybe Caleb Williams, maybe Drake May. We'll find out. Bears got the first pick in the draft, so we'll see what they do with their quarterback position. There's a lot of talk about Caleb Williams and Cliff Kingsbury going together. That won't happen. Caleb Williams and Shane Waldron, that could ultimately happen. Okay, one hour down, one hour left to go. When we get back, we are going to review, relive, and just bask in the glory of the ultimate 11 offensive plays of the year. That's next on Texans All Access. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and it's time for our ultimate 11 offensive plays of the year. Now, am I going to forget something? Yeah, probably. Now, I did this after the Brown, the loss of the Browns, and I did it couching it with the thought that, look, the season's not over. But I really don't want to go back and relive the Browns game at this point, the regular season one. So what do I do here? So I'm like, I'm going to do ultimate 11 offensive plays this week, the ultimate 11 defensive plays, which would have been the end of the season matchup had we lost to the Colts. Would have been a nice symmetry, and away you go. But it didn't turn out that way. We ended up having more that we could add to the mix. So, this is a little revised. Ultimate 11 offensive plays of the year. And I have a tie at number 11. It's also to help me with the formatting of this particular show. And it actually happened in the playoff win. The two touchdowns from C.J. Stroud. One to Brevin Jordan. Here we go with Schultz motioning to the left. Stroud under center. Here's a little drop back and a pass to Brevin Jordan. Right side across the 35. Cuts inside 40. 50. The 40 right sideline. He's going to go all the way. Brevin Jordan to the end zone. No flags. Touchdown. My goodness. The Texans go 76 yards in one play to retake the lead on Cleveland. Give me a redo, partner. I missed you the first time on that high five. Brevin Jordan just pulled away from somebody. It looked like Usain Bolt down the sideline. Oh, Brevin Jordan ran away from former teammate Obo Okoronkwo and ran away from him. We talked about that with Brevin uh, on the coaches show. Hopefully you got a chance to hear that interview. Now, Brevin is going to share the spotlight with his tight end teammate Dalton Schultz. So 11A, Brevin goes 76 yards. 11B against the Browns in the playoffs. Dalton Schultz for 37 yards to give the Texans a 24-14 lead. That's what we have to kick off our ultimate 11. Stroud under center on second and 20 at the Browns 37. One back motor. CJ fakes the give. Steps out to his right. He's got a lot of time. And he throws deep. And he wants Dalton Schultz. Has him. Rock and roll. Touchdown, Houston. What a play design. You don't roll a guy one way and then have him throw back across the field. It goes against everything you're thinking about, unless he can set his feet. And so they they protect it perfectly, allow Schultz to come back on a crosser, 
a deep crossing route going back against the grain away from C.J. Stroud, and he puts it in the air. Schultz makes up for the drop, and so. 37-yard touchdown reception, and C.J. Stroud, welcome to the NFL playoffs. Introducing the rookie Stroud with three TDs in the first half. C.J. was magical that day. Those two come in at number 11. All right, let's get to number 10 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. 16-6 against the Steelers. Texans looking for a little bit of spark to get back going. You know, the terrible towels got going in that game a little bit when it was 16-6. Thought they had a shot. But then C.J. Stroud, no, not C.J. Stroud. Devin Singletary, before Devin really had taken over as the number one running back, came into the game, and it was time for a little razzle-dazzle as Mark Vandermeer put it, as he found Dalton Schultz for a touchdown to put them up 23-6 against the Steelers. It's at number 10. Second and goal at the six. Stroud under center. Pitches the ball to Singletary. Throws to the end zone. Razzle-dazzle. Caught for a touchdown. Dalton Schultz. The Texans score. Then they would hit the Nico touchdown. Then they would beat the Steelers. That put the Texans at 2-2. Two and two. Now, they were 0-2 when they went to Duval County to take on the 1-1 one one Jacksonville Jaguars in week three. And the talk that week against the Jaguars, for the Jaguars, was, hey, you got a two-week trip upcoming to London. What about London? How about going over to London? Hey, you got these two games in London. Everything was about London. Nothing was about the Texans. And I thought that was interesting. So, okay, maybe they're not ready for what we can do. Well, the offense had started getting rolling against the Colts, but it really got rolling against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I thought we might be in some trouble early. First three and out. Oh, boy. Not good. Holy cow. Jags got the ball. They drive a little bit, but now they got to kick a field goal. Brandon McManus pushes it wide right. Now the Texans have got great field position, and they were about to unleash a can of you-know-what on the Jags. Right here, going back. Deep at number nine, C.J. found Tank. This put the ball down at the one-yard line and signaled what the Texans' offense was going to be this year. C.J. to Tank at number nine for 46 yards to the one. Second down and seven from the 48 of the Jags. Stroud fakes the give. Now guns long downfield, and he wants Tank Dell, and Dell has the catch inside the one-yard line. Stop there. Big play to Tank Dell. Now the Texans' offense has been... Fairly spectacular all year long. There have been some moments of not so greatness. But I found one or wanted to put one that came in a losing effort. And it came in week five at Atlanta. Late in the game, C.J. Stroud put together a drive. Just after the two-minute warning, Dalton Schultz and C.J. connected on a play that they talked about on the sidelines. A little nod and go by Dalton Schultz, kind of looked like he was going to run the in route, the basic, and then boom, boom, and he went by Jesse Bates, and Stroud hit him to take the lead, and it sent the sideline into hysterics. Well, unfortunately, Desmond Ritter pulled some magic. That's why this one's not any higher, but at number eight, the only one in a losing effort, C.J. to Dalton, late in the game against the Falcons. Texans in the huddle. Singletary is in the game. Mechie. Woods. They'll send Nico out to the left side. Stroud of the gun, Singletary to his left. Third down and eight at the Falcons' 18. CJ gets the snap. 
CJ looking, firing to the end zone. Caught! Touchdown! Dalton Schultz! They do it! 18-yard touchdown pass to the tight end, and the Texans can take the lead with the extra point. And what a throw by C.J. Stroud. And that was just the beginning of the late-game heroics, and we'll get into a little bit more. But number eight right there, C.J. hitting Dalton for the touchdown against the Falcons. Not enough on that day, but what a magnificent moment for both C.J. Stroud and Dalton Schultz. All right, number seven came in a game that was not looking good early. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had come to town and they had to break a losing streak and Baker Mayfield was hot and the Texans were in a lot of trouble, especially because Kaimi Fairbairn had gone out. So they had to rely on Daria Goombawale later in the game. But before we could get there, the Texans had to get within a touchdown or two of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, third quarter, ball to 25 to start a drive. CJ found Noah. Got a block from Tank, and Noah would take it 75 yards to the house to cut the lead in half against the Buccaneers. It comes in at number seven. C.J. fakes the give. C.J. planting, and he throws downfield over the middle, and he's got a man, Brown, left side, 50, 40, left sideline, full throttle, 20, 15, 10, 5, fighting for the goal line, and he's got it! Touchdown, Houston, rock and roll! 75 yards. What a block by Tank Dale. I mean, you got to have unselfish players to be successful offensively. And some guys just have to flat out do the dirty work every once in a while. You all can't be stars. And the, the block by Tank Dale, I mean, frees up Noah Brown. Boy, he tight roped that sideline. Barely stayed in bounds and fought off a defender right inside the 10 to get to the goal line. It was Davis, and he stiff-armed him and to get across. That got things rocking in the second half in a game in which C.J. threw for 470 yards and five tutties against the Buccaneers. That was one of them. That was a big one to Noah Brown. All right, let's move to number six. Let's go back to Jacksonville in week three. The Texans had fought their way through this one. It was 17-10. Andrew Beck had the kickoff return, made it 24-10. They kicked a field goal to go up 27-10. Jags scored. It's 27-17. You thought, okay, maybe the Jags are getting back in it. Well, C.J. Stroud and Tank Dell are about to shut the door. Third down, stadium rocking in Duval County. And C.J. says, you know what? Let's just go to Tank. 68 yards later, the Texans put the capper on a huge 34-17 lead and a 37-17 win. 68 yards. The touchdown from Stroud to Tank. It comes in at six. Stroud talking to his teammates. Third and three from the Houston 32. CJ in the gun. One back boom. CJ gets the snap. Here comes the blitz. CJ firing downfield to his right. And Tank has it at the 40, the 30, the 20, 10, 5. Touchdown. Tank Dell to the house. Wow. 68 yards. The rookie scores. I think Andre said it best for all of us. Wow. What did we just see? Well, we saw a lot of that, and we're going to get to more of that uh, in just a little bit. But let's get to number five. Now, the passing moments of this year, you've already heard Devin Singletary had one. Most of them were C.J. Stroud. From a quarterback perspective, they're almost all C.J. Stroud, except for one week against Tennessee. And two moments made it. One at number five, 
down by seven. The Texans have fought their way back against the Titans, needed to tie the game. They sat at the three-yard line. They got stuffed on first down, nothing on second down, third and three. You knew they were going to have to go for that two downs to get it. They only need one because Case Keenum would take his Houston and Texans legend to another level when he found Noah Brown for this touchdown to tie the game in Tennessee. It's at number five. End zone to our right. Crowd revving it up. Tenth play of the drive. Texans going for the equalizer. Ten seconds on the play clock. They get out of the huddle. Third and goal at the three. Keenum in the gun. Singletary in the backfield with him. Schultz motioning to the left. Keenum to throw. Keenum scrambling to the right. Throws to the end zone. Caught. Touchdown, Houston. Noah Brown. Three-yard TD pass. Yes, baby. Case Keenum, welcome back. Touchdown pass. Noah the first Brown, TD of the day. Noah Brown started this game hot. Going to finish this game hot. All right, let's get to number four. And for number four, we go to Cincinnati in one of the crazier games of the year. The Texans have pretty much dominated this game. We're up 27-17, had third down at three. Had run the ball all day, but decided to throw it. CJ threw an interception. The Bengals scored, made it 27-24. Texans couldn't get a first down. Bengals went down, kicked the field goal, made 27-27. But the Texans had enough time. They had enough life. But they were running out of it because they got to a third and long and thought, my God, they're going to kick it right back to the Bengals. And they couldn't afford to do that. So at this point, it was time for two guys to step up and make plays on not consecutive downs, but... One down on third down, and then two plays later, the big play. Well, they were both big plays. So I split this into 4A and 4B. First one, third down conversion, C.J. Stroud to Dalton Schultz. Second one, C.J. Stroud to Noah Brown to get them in field goal range to beat the Bengals. 4A and 4B. Let's go. Here's the snap. Stroud looking. Stroud firing downfield and caught by Schultz at the 46-yard line. The tackle made by Cam Taylor Britt, the 46 of the Bengals, 31 seconds to go. Now motion by Boone. CJ takes the snap, throws over the middle, hits Noah Brown, breaks a tackle 30. Noah 25, Noah 20, and he's wrapped up at the 20-yard line. Timeout called with five seconds to go. They get the ball to Brown, and they're ready to try a field goal. Every single yard that Noah Brown fought for was important. Because Matt Amendola's 39-yard field goal just got inside the upright. Never forget seeing that thing go through was absolutely awesome. Now, the Texans also had a game-winning field goal in overtime against the Tennessee Titans. And it wasn't looking good for a long time. They tied the game, as you heard earlier, with Noah Brown's touchdown. But then overtime, the drive they had went backwards 21 yards. So with a minute 48, minute 47, they got the ball back at the 20-yard line and it was time for a little Case Keenum magic. He would find motor for 41 yards, which helped set up a long Kaimi Fairbairn field goal to win it at the gun. But at number three, Case Keenum finds motor with a little scramble drill. This was awesome. 143 to go in overtime. Two timeouts for the Texans. Case Keenum shotgun. First down, Texans at the Houston 20. Motor in the backfield. Case puts the leg down. Keenum to throw. Keenum 
pocket collapsing, scrambles to the right. Keenum floats the ball downfield. He's got a man motor across the 50, yes. 40 right sideline. Well into Titan territory, out of bounds at the 38-yard line. Big play to Singletary. Texas would beat the Titans dressed as Oilers, and it was freaking awesome. Awesome. Just as awesome was against Arizona. We came back for a three-game stretch, had the Cardinals at home, and right before the half, C.J. Stroud found Tank Dell 40 yards down the field, and then there was a really cool moment. So 2A is the touchdown. 2B is, well, I'll just take a listen to what 2B is. Offset eye. C.J. drops back in the pocket, looking, flushed out to the right. C.J. comes it long downfield and caught touchdown. Amazing catch, Tank Dell. What a throw by Stroud. And Dell with the reception jumps into the stands. Go Cougs. That's my guy. Unbelievable. What a grab by Tank Dell. I mean, he extended every bit of his body to make that catch. Whoa. Extra point by Amendola. Up and good. And the crowd is chanting MVP for C.J. Stroud. Now, fortunately, with the injury, obviously, C.J. not going to be in the MVP uh, discussion at the end of the year, but he certainly was at that moment, and he certainly was. The dude we all thought he was going to be, whether he's MVP or not. Okay, let's get to number one, and there again is going to be a little uh, sharing here because, to me, there are two moments, and they both come in the regular season. One happened in a game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The other happened in week 18 against the Indianapolis Colts. You knew it. We were coming down to this. I couldn't decide between the two. So I decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm putting them both at number one. It's my up 11. I'm going to do what I want. So let's start with number one A, CJ to tank to beat the Bucks, 39-37. Stroud in the gun, empty backfield after motion. First down of the Bucks, 15. Ten seconds to go. CJ gets the snap. CJ looking, throwing to the end zone. Got the yes, yes, the lead. yes. Adele with the reception. Rock and roll. My goodness. There are flags on the field. Could be on the defense. What a comeback! Go Kooks! Let's go. Here's the call from Land Clark. Bring us some good news. After the play, unfortunately, conduct. Defense number 54. That is the ultimate offensive moment at home, playoffs or otherwise. Throws that out route, that sail route to Tank on the play before. Tank drags the foot. Next play, tank back in the end zone, touchdown, place went nuts. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Joining CJ and Tank up on the podium, it's got to be, obviously we know CJ Stroud is MVP, offensive MVP of the year. Nico Collins is right there behind him. Week 18, Colts go up 3 nothing. first offensive drive, first offensive play. Dial it up, baby, throw it deep. 1B, CJ finds Nico, 75-yard touchdown. That and the play at Tampa Bay are both at number one. First down from the Houston 25-yard line. Devin Singletary in the backfield. CJ under center with Nico Collins to the wide side left. And Schultz in motion to that side. 
CJ calls him out. CJ will throw on the first play for the Texans. Steps up, fires deep down the field, and caught by Nico Collins yes. at the 20, 15, 10, 5. Rock and roll. Touchdown, Houston. 75 yards on the opening play. Hello, Indy. Unreal. What a throw. What a catch. What a start to this game. You cannot win a football game early kicking field goals. They knew it was going to be zone coverage. That's exactly what the Colts do every single week, week in, week out. Another outstanding job by this coaching staff of knowing what to expect and then delivering. Beginning the game with an explosion. Wow. At Lucas Oil Stadium. And not a bad place for that to have happened. All right. When we get back, it's a quickie. The ultimate play of the year. In my opinion, in my opinion, we'll have that for you next right here on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. We're going to finish the show with D'Amico Ryan's Reloaded in a little bit. But we just gave you the ultimate 11 offensive plays of the year revised. I revised it um, at number one. It was tank Dell's touchdown catch against Tampa Bay. It was revised to a tie tank Dell tank Dell's touchdown catch against Tampa Bay and Nico Collins, 75 yard touchdown catch against Indianapolis in week 18. I couldn't pick between the two. So I just went with both of them. Now, me, the play of the year, though, was actually neither of those. I don't think. Now, I do think we could have beaten Tampa Bay, and I do think we could have beaten India at the end of the year. But without a win in week three, I'm not totally sure that the Texans even get to a point where they're in a playoff hunt. They go down to Jacksonville and lose. They're 0-3. All things at that point change. You know, look, maybe they beat, maybe they don't beat Jacksonville, but they do beat Carolina in the same spot. I mean, who knows? So we've seen this team start 0-3. They did it in 2018. They bounced back. Uh, but that was a different squad. But going down to Jacksonville and making a statement was, was huge. So first half at Jacksonville, 17-0. Got it under control. Hammering the Jags. Just hammering them. It's awesome. Jags come out of the second half. You know they're going to fight back. They're the AFC South champs in 2022. They fight back. Three points here. Touchdown there. 17-10. They're getting back in it. Crowd's in it. Oh, dang it. We got a lot of time in this game, man. We got to do something. We need points on this drive. Well, the ball was kicked off, and it was kicked off very, very short. Then an adventure began that finished with the ultimate play of the 2023 season right here. Brandon McManus will kick off from our left to right with Mike Boone back deep, one yard deep in the end zone. Last time he let it bounce, and this is going to be inside the 10. And this is dropped, picked up by Beck. Beck still going, running to the right side. Beck has some room, 25, 30, 35, 40. He's at the 50. He's at the 45 of Jacksonville. Beck across the 30, the 20. The 15, 10, 5. Are you kidding? Rock and roll. Touchdown, Houston. My goodness. Oh, my. Beck picked up the ball. The earth started shaking yes, in North Florida. And he ran to the right side and found the lane to the end zone. It's why they tell those guys never to back up. 
That, to me, turned the season around. It assured a win in Jacksonville, and that was the start of the 2023 season. We get back. It's D'Amico Reloaded right here on Texans All Access. During Friday's show throughout the year on Texans All Access, we got to where we would play what we called D'Amico Reloaded. And we finished the week with the words from D'Amico from our interview with me and Mark. And we had a chance to catch up with him today. And if you missed another coach's show, you know what? We just want to play for you again because we feel like the future of this franchise is so bright. And we didn't talk one, one lick really about the Baltimore game, to be honest. We just talked about the season. And it was a really fun conversation. So that's the way we're going to end all access right here. A little D'Amico Reloaded. Here we go one more time for the 2023 season in the Hyundai Texans radio studio with head coach D'Amico Ryans. Coach, great to see you. I know it didn't end the way you wanted it to, but what a campaign. I know a lot of reflection right now. Looking forward to the future. Your thoughts as you embark on 2024. Oh, wow. What an incredible season. I I, uh, told our guys this morning, right, really appreciate all of our guys for the work that they put in. I think what goes unnoticed in this season is, how many guys have to push through and they're playing through injuries, they're playing through pain, and they're doing everything possible to just go line up and play. So I just want to let guys know I don't take that lightly and really appreciative for the guys and the sacrifice that they put their bodies through to allow us to have the season that we had. But, man, many, many great accomplishments throughout the season. Uh, a lot of special moments, and I think just none other than just seeing the young group of guys, our rookies, our young players, being able to step in and immediately impact our team, right, and be the reason why we had a successful season. You talk about the impact of, of CJ, right, right off the back. Like, you you want to win games in this league, you have to have a quarterback, right, who can get the job done, who can lead an offense. And to get a young player his first year – to accomplish all of the things he accomplished, all the records he was able to set, and to know he's just getting started. Mm. Right? It's just so encouraging for the future and to see where we are when you know you have a young player who's been through those two-minute drives, who's led our team to winning drives. Right? It's, it's encouraging to continue to build on the success that he's had. And, man, what a bright future we have with him. Coach, I think the word culture is used a lot and I think sometimes it's not really appreciated or defined very well. You call it vibe, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I know Mark and I have talked about this a lot. The fact that we wanted to be in the building every single day to see the guys, to see you, to be around this particular team. How important was it for you to kind of establish the culture, your culture, the way you wanted to see it? And do you feel like you were able to do it to the extent you wanted to this year? Right. I do feel that, man, that culture, it drives not only the team, but it drives the entire building, right, yeah. our entire organization. But to see, you know, whether it's the business side or see other, everybody, you walk past in the hall just to see the, the smiles on everyone's faces, the excitement, right, to be pre- prepping for a playoff game, then feel that buzz and yeah. the energy. It's one thing, you know, for me is to get that culture, Right, it's about the people that you bring in, yeah. right? And so, starting with the free agents that we brought in, and then our rookie class, it's like we brought in the right people who had the right mindset, positive energy, right? They had a, a ton of success by growing closer together throughout the entire year. I felt like at that culture, it kind of permeated when our team continued to get closer and closer and closer. Yep. And I felt like, man, we got connected right yep. at the right moment towards the end of the season. We needed to make a run. 
and we needed a uh, a lot of special plays by a lot of special people, man, it showed up most. So that culture is uh, it's definitely it happened quickly, right? And to get that in the first year and to continue to build off of that, I think it's very encouraging for us. You mentioned in your press conference, one of the great memories is the Tampa Bay game <laughs> because of the way the guys really banded together yeah. in that game. And Dari Gunbawale kicking a field goal. <laughs> I mean, that kind of right. was a great example of teamwork right there. Everybody doing even more than their job, maybe. Right. Yeah, it helps. <laughs> you know, when I first, my first team in, I said, this is going to be a team first organization. Mm -hmm. It's going to be about the team. Our first, you know, message to our guys. So the number one rule is to protect the team. So it's all about that team atmosphere. Then you come to the Tampa Bay game, right? There we got our <laughs> Our running back kicking field goals. <laughs> we got, I mean, the plays that our rookie quarterback is making mm -hmm. on this two-minute drive, right, mm -hmm. to put us in position to another rookie, Tank Dale, who's yep. showing up making unbelievable catches. I mean, it was uh, it was such a it was a it was a loose game, fun game. They say, man, we lost our kicker. Like, what? What are we gonna do? <laughs> Dare is warming up, and Frankie is going. It's like, hey, Cole, I know his range. He's here. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's like I'm listening to the running back's range as a kicker. It's like it's, it's just a game moment. I'll never forget it. And for me having to make the call to, you know what, we were going for two, going for two. It's like, you know what, let's kick it. Yeah. <laughs> and he makes it. And to see the reaction from our sideline, to see the reaction from our, our fans just going crazy. Uh, see Dare's reaction with the Steph Curry walk-off moment. It was just <laughs> such a cool game, one I always remember. As <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going back through all of that, yeah, I'm like, a lot. <laughs> that all happened in one game. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he, it wasn't a game-winning field goal. It was pretty darn close, which kind of goes to the concept of the team. If you count it as a game-winning field goal, you had three guys kick game-winning field goals this year, <laughs> wow. which is pretty crazy. Is that your? Is that the one that ultimately stands out more than any other? Does it stand out more than Indy? I mean, that win at Indy is gets you in the playoffs. You beat Indy, which, by the way, uh, we've got an eight-game road division winning streak going, which is kind of odd. Uh, but we've got that. You won all three game division games on the road. But where does the Indy game sit, Coach? The second one, of course, not the first right. one. The second one sits, you know, right next to the Tampa Bay game, right? When you talk about another message I always give our guys is, like, whatever we have to do, however we have to get it done, we have to win this game yeah. to have an opportunity to play in the playoffs. And every season, every time you start, that goal is to win your division because you know you win your division, you're in the playoffs. Everyone mm -hmm. wants to play postseason football. So to be able, right, for it to come down to that, yeah. that last drive of that game, man, it was, wow, what a moment, yeah. right? And it's probably the highest I've jumped in a long time. <laughs> it was you got such an awesome moment for our team. I was so happy for our guys, man, that first our first year together, for them to be able to get into the playoffs. Like, I know how special that is. I know it's one you always remember because I tell those guys, man, I played for 10 years and I only made it to the playoffs a, a few times. And you remember those times and those are special. And so I want our guys to feel that. You know, every single year I want them to feel that. So to get that done at that moment versus a divisional rival, like that was uh, that was one that's up there as well. Yeah. You clinch your spot in the playoffs, the excitement just from everyone. I was happy. It's like, man, we did it. We're yeah. in. And that was a special moment for us. Seven of the ten regular season wins you got were nail biters. All down to the wire. 
And as you know, those can go either way, (laughs) but you got seven of them to go your way. And even though the team changes year to year, are you going to use those as teaching moments in the future? Hey, look what happens here. We've got to make those plays down the stretch. Right. And I know you'd rather just blow people out, but it doesn't always happen that way. No, it, it doesn't happen that way. There's a <laughs> crazy stat in the, around the league that, I mean, it's over 80% of games come down to that last drive or come, I would say, within nine points. Most mm-hmm. games are determined. And that's why I tell people, that's why they have that red zone channel. Everybody's yeah. tuned in because there's always excitement on that final drive. Yep. Uh, for us to gain that experience and get those learning lessons in the last drives of games, I think it truly helps your confidence when you have a young quarterback, for a rookie quarterback to be able to drive down the field in those two-minute situations and make those plays. Right as he faces those, as he moves forward in his career, it's like uh, I've been here before. Mm. So it's not going to be a moment of an anxious moment or nerve. Like I've been here, I know what it takes. Let's do this, this, and this. I remember when I drove down versus Tampa Bay and made these plays to win the game, put us in position. So I think it does. If it does anything, it's that confidence booster. That, right. Man, we've been here. Games are always going to be close in the NFL, but we know how to operate in those moments. We learned a ton in our first year of how to get it done. Coach, one of the things I heard just came from Chris Peterson in Boise State. I'll never forget when he said this. When 2006, they'd won that Fiesta Bowl and nobody knew who Boise State was. Mm-hmm. I talked to him in 2009. He said, John, you know what became our biggest opponent was expectation. He was like dealing with expectation became something different in years after that. We had to learn how to deal with expectation. And I bring that up because we're no longer going to be, oh, D'Amico Ryan's and the cute little story that's the Texans. They're going to be a lot of expectations heaped on you in the future and heaped on this team and this organization in the future. How tough, Coach, is that? To kind of to kind of deal with that as you go forward, and and how important will it be to deal with those expectations of a lot of people going forward? You no, know, John is there's no greater expectation than the expectations we put on ourselves. True. Mm. So with that being said, like we had those expectations yeah. even this year. You right. know, everybody, no one on the outside kind of knew what we had or who we could beat. So, but for me, that's the expectation every year because I know all the work that goes right. into like guys just giving their all to win games and be in games. So for us, it's like, man, we expect to win right. every game internally, right? No matter what they mm-hmm. say externally, we expect that. So moving forward, if the expectations are higher on the outside, still doesn't change for so, us. Yeah. Like that's where that's how we've always been. That's how we yep. always operate. And I think if anything, it's a it's great that now, you know, the Texans will be talked about in that light of yep. expecting them you know, win a division, expecting to be in the playoffs. And now how far can we go and move forward? A couple of things about players venturing off into the offseason, Coach. Give me an example or maybe a hypothetical on the way you might address a player in a one-on-one who you know is coming back, but there they go into the offseason. Do you give them a list of things to improve upon or just things to handle? How do you handle that kind of thing? First thing going into the offseason, tell guys, make sure you get some rest. Right, Mm. That's the most important thing, right, is just – Man, decompress, get some rest, long season. You need that time to rest. And then it's a period of time, we call it mid-February, where, man, you need to be in the weight room. You need to be on it. You know, with the, when it comes to the strength and conditioning aspect of your game, that's where you get – where I've seen guys gain the most uh, – gain the most to their game or being able to add, you know, to their game and taking care of their bodies – 
is when you get in that weight room in mid-February and you're working. So come OTAs, you're not getting ready in OT. Like you've, you're there, you're prepared, you're ready to go. And when guys are taking care of their bodies the right way, that's where I lean on the most talking to guys in the offseason is making sure you, you handle that February through April the right way. Because if you handle that the right way, most guys, they did it right, then they're going to have a healthy season. Mm. And that's where it all starts. And then we'll get to the X's and O's or different techniques of how to get better when we hit OTAs. But your body has to be in prime condition and ready to sustain you through the entire season. Did you change the way you handled that part when you were a player? And has that affected how you coach players? Yeah, different from when we were playing. Like we, The offseason started like around <laughs> this time. And yeah. you know, after the, the new CBA agreement, the offseason was shortened. So you only get nine weeks mm. and it, you cannot just squeeze in <laughs> a full off season in nine weeks. It takes way more time than that. So for me, we were working that way and they'll just here working out all the time. But now it's just getting our players back to that mode of that's what it takes to have a healthy season. You got to be preparing in mid February. Coach, I know you have a special relationship with a lot of players, but the head coach quarterback relationship, I'd imagine that's something pretty special. And you were able to establish that this year with CJ Stroud. A, how special was that with CJ? B, as great as he was, there's always obviously room for improvement. What do you think are the keys for CJ taking a step from year one to year two? Yeah, it's it's a great relationship, right? CJ is a very genuine person, right? And it's easy to talk to him. Easy to, I remember <laughs> even back when we were figuring it out in OTA's training camp, remember sometimes you definitely get heated at me because I'm putting the pressure on him because I know what's going to come, yep. you know, in the mm -hmm. season. It's going to be a lot of pressure. So I like to put those, put the quarterback in that pressure position in, uh, in the offseason, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, just seeing him grow, seeing his command of the huddle, seeing his communication with the offense, his ability to get everybody in the spots, when they're asking him a ton of questions yeah. after they break the huddle, seeing just his confidence and calm of getting everybody in the right spot and just seeing him grow as a player throughout the year, it's been, it's been special. Um, and I think he'll continue to take those steps. Right, we got to continue to help him, surround him with the right people to help him. Right, He, he wants to throw the football all, <laughs> all day, every play. He was even asking me last guy, nah, let me go in. I want to throw it's like, nah, man, this is kind of out of hand but it just shows his mindset. He's yep. always competing. Yep. And when you have a guy who has that competitive spirit, has that internal drive to continue to get better, it's easy to work with a guy like yep. that. I would never ask you this in the offseason, but since we're recapping 2023 still a little bit here, Coach, and I know we're getting ready for next season already, uh, a couple of sentences from the following games. First, Ooh. Jacksonville down there, your first win. What stands out to you? A couple Ooh, of things. Man. The first Jacksonville game, just the dominance and how we <laughs> ran the football throughout mm. that game and how we were in control. The Andrew Beck like yeah. <laughs> return yeah. for a touch, the kickoff return for a touchdown. The heaviest player in the NFL to return. Heaviest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean the the Blake Cashman pick. I mean it mm. was a, it was yeah, a lot yeah. of a lot of cool yeah. moments, but none cooler than just lining up in four-minute mode, and they yep. know you're running the ball, we know we're running the football, and to be able to just seal that game the way we ran the football, that's the thing that sticks out the most. I'm not going to do them all, but what about Pittsburgh here on J.J. Watt Day? Oh, yeah, J.J. Watt Day in the in the Battle Red jerseys. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
what sticks out most there is offensive line and the job that they did versus, you know, sorry, J.J., but your brother there, T.J., yeah, yeah. <laughs> we shut him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, just seeing our offensive line, because we had a lot of injuries at that time on, to our offensive line, but seeing the mm-hmm. way they stepped up didn't matter who was in there. Like, they did a great job protecting, and we were able to, you know, protect C.J. in that game, and we played well. Uh, Steve, Steven Nelson with the pick on the deep mm-hmm. ball. Just a really great game from the defense. We talk about swarm, and I always go back to that game, and I'm trying to find some old clips of when I talk about swarming as a defense, that game sticks out because they our guys flew around, and it was multiple guys at the ball like every snap. I'll zoom ahead at Cincinnati, that win at the buzzer. Ooh, at Cincinnati, wow. <laughs> Man. It was uh, motor again <laughs> in the yeah, way. <laughs> yeah, his touchdown on the on the outside uh, crack toss play and seeing Dalton and uh, Fance block there, awesome play. And of course, it's Noah Brown there at the end. Mm-hmm. The way you know he catches that pass to get us in field goal range. And one that sticks out is Michael Dieter. He's just there watching Noah running. He's looking at the clock, looking at he's telling yeah. Noah to get down, yeah, get down. Yeah. And he starts banging yeah. the timeout. It's like that, <laughs> that moment right there, then Matt Amendola, right, stepping in and kicking. I, I got one more. At Tennessee, them wearing the Oiler uniforms. Mm. You don't have CJ, you have Case. He hits both. Man, what are you doing? You're, I'm like, I'm wow. about to start crying here. Like. No, but these are these are standing out to me. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that one. Yeah, that that game there stood out. I mean, from the first snap, like Christian Harris, I think that's where he started to show up even more, playing physical versus Derrick Henry. Entire defense shutting out Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. That was uh, just the moment from the entire game. But then, you know, seeing Case – you know, roll out there at the end, and he finds motor, and he's running down the sideline, and I knew it's like we got it, we got yeah, it, we yeah. got it. This game is over, man. That was a uh, that was one. Of course, so much pride for our, all of our fans back here in Houston, and everybody felt the way mm-hmm. about the Oilers jersey and them wearing them versus us. Yeah. So I was happy to see how happy our fans were when we got back. And thank you for beating them, and they're wearing the Oilers jerseys. Mm-hmm. They were very thankful for that one. Coach, along those lines, to that game, I'm glad you brought that up, Mark. I don't know that we've talked to you about this. How difficult the decision was that that week to go with Case in that yeah. particular game in that situation? How tough was that for you as a coach, knowing you've got two capable guys, but, okay, we're going to go with Case – in this game, we just think he gives us a better chance to win. How tough was that a week for you to kind of make that decision? Oh, very tough. Uh, I can't say I made that decision easy. I right. can't say I rested well through, throughout that week because it was uh, it was a tough decision to make uh, just for all parties involved. Yeah. Very tough. Uh, you know, as the week went on, I felt like, you know, it was the right decision. And I felt like, man, the decisions I make has to be the decision to put us in the best position to win a game. And that's – what I kept going back to, yep. like who's gonna, or what combination of guys are gonna help us win this yep. game, and that allowed me to, you know, make that decision. All right, you're a head coach, so I know this happens. Sometimes you think about the losses more than the wins. But what will you take away from the losses that you did have into the future and say we've got to be more this? What can you tell the listeners about that, coach? Yeah, with the with the losses, I mean, I just go back to our most recent losses versus Baltimore. It's like. You know we um, we gotta we gotta be better when it comes to just pre snap operation. We gotta mm-hmm. play cleaner football. 
we have to be able to run the football more effectively to sustain drives, right? And defensively, like, and it's just all across the all across when you lose games, like, man, did your playmakers show up and make plays when they're in position to make plays, mm. right? It felt like you no know, game speaks more to it than the Ravens game. And their playmaker, Lamar Jackson, in the second half, he took off, he put the team on his back, and he made plays, okay? Who are our playmakers who can step up in the critical moments to help us win games, right? That's mm-hmm. what this league will always be about, the players and the, the the best players shine at the brightest moments, and that's what we have to have, right? Mm-hmm. Big-time playmakers step up in the big-time moments to get us over that hump. We get in that spot again in a divisional round. Like, who are our playmakers who are willing to shine in that moment? Coach, I don't mean this in a – Hopefully it's going to come out a bad way. But as you look back at your year as a head coach, um, which everybody, I mean, I, I know you don't live on social media, but I'm sure Omar told you at some point <laughs> that you were, you were a superstar on social media Uh-oh. because of your video talking with Christian Harris about what he was going to see. And then it came to fruition. But as a head coach, there's so many things in your first year that you learn to do on the job. As you go forward, what are some of the things that you feel like you want to do a little bit better or didn't do that you know you're going to face going forward as as a head coach? Yeah, I think just head coaching, it all starts with just, you know, communication amongst your staff, players, like being on the same. I can think back to our first, you know, two games, just how crazy it was on the sideline and the headsets. It's like yeah, yeah, so yeah. many people barking and talking like, whoa, I got to make sure I reel this all in. So right. after that second game, was able to reel it all in. Hey, we only need to hear this, this, and this. on it. So it just mm-hmm. calmed everybody down, allowed me to make, like, clearer decisions in that moment, in critical games. Like, you have to put the team, again, yep. in the best spot to win games. So I felt like I grew in that in that light when it comes yep. to just communication on the sideline, headsets, game management type of things. And then just as overall, right, as a head coach, I always look at it, man, how can I – continue to serve our guys and help our guys to make sure like we're doing the best thing possible, putting our guys in the best position possible, right. To play their best. Like, are we, we doing things right schematically? I think you all, for me, I take a look internally, right. Self scout, like what are we doing and how can we move forward, get better? How can we evolve? Cause you never stay the same, Right. right. This season was this season. It was great from a lot of respects, but also, man, there's a ton of things we can get better at when it comes to schematically, it comes to executing, right? Playing cleaner, we can get much better in those regards. All right, the Amogee Bank Ask Coach question of the week. We know that the missus is expecting. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, so what is more difficult, getting the baby down for an afternoon nap or deciding whether to call a blitz or not? Oh. <laughs> afternoon nap is definitely the <laughs> yes. hardest. You, you talk about, man, it doesn't matter what Blissy called, but man, yeah. the, the babies are oh, it's such a blessing. It's such a man. It's it's fun, man, being with the kids and but those afternoon naps, especially my daughter now. She tells me, "Daddy, I'm too old for naps." So oh, like, yeah. oh, you boy. just want to like, hey, I just want to relax and watch. <laughs> Daddy, no, I don't take naps anymore. I'm yeah. seven now. I don't take naps. Like, what do you mean, man? Oh. If kids knew what they were talking about, they'd realize yeah. take the naps now because you don't get them very <laughs> much right. later when you become an adult. Naps now. I love naps. <laughs> no problem. Take Coach, a nap every day. I could. Thanks so much for the entire season yeah. of shows. We really appreciate it. We look forward to the off season. No, thank you guys. Always a pleasure getting on talking with you. You guys, you guys have a great off season as well. Get you some rest. Okay, thank <laughs> right. you. Thank you.
there's no doubt we're all going to get some rest. We all need it after this season. We got to rest up for 2024 and hopefully bigger things on the horizon. A big thanks to all of you. A really heartfelt thanks. This is really hard to do for me. I, you know, I get emotional about these things. Um, always the end of the season is very emotional because obviously it's over uh, and we'll, you know, we'll go radio silent for a few weeks. We'll be back the Monday after the Super Bowl. My guess is we'll see the Ravens in it, uh, but we'll see. A lot of things can happen between now and then, but a big thanks to all of you that were such an integral part of supporting this show and being with me every single night uh, that we were doing radio. Thank you all so much. Um, great season. And as always, go Texans.